You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about storytelling in sales and in life. It's one of our first forms of communication, one that's intimately human, has power for connection few other forms provide, yet it's often misunderstood and rarely executed well. So how does one understand the power of the story? How do you craft it? How do you leverage it in sales? How does it continue to support our belief that selling is an honorable profession or better yet, how does it help you become memorable? To go deep on this topic, we have with us Harry Mazur, author of Storytelling, Sage Advice About Sales and Success. Before becoming an author, Harry served as president of Zep Manufacturing, oversaw 2,000-person sales force for 27 years, a team that produced double-digit growth for 25 straight years. Harry, thank you very much for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm just tired listening to that. Yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> I worked that hard. Uh, yeah, and it's story selling. Story uh, you know, storytelling story is what everybody normally says, but we struck out the T and made it story selling. Sage advice and common sense about sales and success. Perfect. So before we jump into the, the meat of the conversation, we always like to start with one question. Just kind of give them, our listeners a sense of, of you. And, and I'm considering, uh, I have not made it all the way through the book, but I am definitely into the book. I figured a great question would be, you know, you've been, you've been doing this a while, the, the book story selling, you know, this is what it's all about. So I know there's got to be some great stories in there, but I'm curious, what is one of your favorite stories throughout your career that still personally resonates with you today? Well, the one I've probably had the most feedback from, and of course, that's a tough question. You know, they're like children. All 50 of the stories are my favorites. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess one that, that resonates and one that kind of hits home and is a true, absolute story that happened to me. I call my wife after working out till late one evening back in the good old days. And I said, what's for dinner? And she said, what would you like? I immediately knew that she hadn't sweated over a hot stove all day and I would be bringing something home for dinner. So we went through the normal choices and we decided on chicken. So I stopped at the local chicken franchise in the neighborhood and ordered my chicken. And as I was driving out, I noticed a sign, biscuits, six for $1.50, 35 cents each. Uh, I said, well, no one was behind me. I hadn't ordered biscuits. So I backed up and I said to the lady, I think I'll have a half a dozen biscuits. I couldn't resist a bargain. She said, fine. She came back a second or so later and said, I'm sorry, sir. They're in the oven cooking. We only have five. So I said, okay, I'll take five. It's better than none. So a minute later, she brings me a bag and she hands me the five biscuits. She says, that'll be a dollar seventy-five. So I said, oh, wait a minute, there must be some mistake. If there's six for a dollar fifty, how can five be a dollar seventy-five? She said, Well, if you don't buy six, they're thirty-five cents each. I said, But I want to buy six. You only you can't charge me more for five than you would for six. And she said, Yes, sir, if you don't buy six, they're thirty-five cents each. I said, is the manager here? She said, yes. I said, well, may I speak with him or her? Guy comes by and I said, sir, I'm not trying to cause any problems, but your person here is trying to charge me more for five biscuits than from six. I wanted six, but you only had five. I, what's going on? 
He said, sir, it'll be $1.75 if you don't buy six. They're 35 cents each. So I bit my tongue, cursed under my breath, and figured we better think of something. So I said, well, look, what about this? What if I buy six for $1.50, you give me five, and you owe me one, and I'll come back tomorrow to pick up my other biscuit? And he thought for a moment, and he said, Okay. So <laughs> again, I never went back for my biscuit and I never went back for my chicken. But it was such a lesson that, you know, the old story, the customer may not always be right, but he's always the customer. And when we think of business, of the critical elements of business, in my mind, all of them are important. But it more important than return on investment or return on sales or cost containment. It's the fundamental reason to please your customer. You first must please your customer. If you do that, everything else falls into place. So that's one of my favorites. <laughs> that's definitely a good one. Definitely a good one. So let's, uh, let's jump in here with, with story sellings. I always have to ask because I, I'm extremely busy. I know most people in the world are. I don't know where the time to write a book comes from or quite frankly, the inspiration. So I would always love to know where did the inspiration for the book come from? You said as we were warming up that it was almost on a dare, but would love to know a little bit more about it. Yeah, it, it's a, it's an appropriate question. And everybody has a book in them. We all say that, you know, and <laughs> I, I called myself retiring, but I've shared with lots of friends that I have failed retirement. Okay. And, <laughs> and it's a good thing to fail, but I'm a clipper and a saver. And through the years, I've filled files with anecdotes and notes from speeches I'd heard and taken and all kinds of articles never loan me a magazine or a newspaper because it's going to come back torn and shredded when I <laughs> cut out the things I like. And finally, people said, Harry, you've got a story to tell. You had a sales force of 2000 people. Y'all did something right. You really ought to share that. And so I finally sat down and people ask, how long did it take to write the book? And I tell them truthfully about 60 years, but actually <laughs> about six months of winnowing and editing and trying to pick out the favorites of the voluminous information that I'd saved through the years. So that's where it came from. It wasn't intended to change the world. It wasn't intended, uh, you know, uh, to be uh, the bestseller or to rival Dickens or anyone. It was entitled, it was in hopefully there to help folks feel better about themselves, take more pride in what they do, do it better. And, uh, uh, save the whales and the world. Okay. <laughs> so many people, they, they talk about, you know, everybody understands a good story that they know it when they hear it, right? It's one of those things, you know, it when you hear it and you know, a bad one when you have to sit through it. Right. And, but most of the people that I work with, they have, they're this lost for what makes it good or how to, in, how to internalize the creation of these stories and use them effectively. I mean, we all live lives. We all can re relate what we went through, but for our listeners, can you give us kind of your top three things you're, you feel are critical for storytellers? to include or leverage in their stories? Uh, my list would probably be longer than three, but <laughs> among the things that I think are important is relevance. It really needs to have some semblance of association with what it is that you're trying to accomplish or do. And I think surprises or an unpredictable ending, like a joke, it jumps out at you. If you have a story that can can have that surprise finish or unusual or unanticipated finish, that's very helpful. 
And obviously, it must be both relatable and motivational. And if you can build that into your speeches or into your stories, people love them. You know, uh, stories touch the human spirit. They always have. And uh, I think that those stories that people can relate to are the ones that ring truest. Without a doubt. I mean, I you definitely, uh, I, I love those three points. They, they make a great deal of sense. The challenge though, I mean, we're talking, so in your career, 2000 salespeople in your organization, right? So yes. you obviously are, are, whether it's natural or not, you, you have the story selling, storytelling gift, right? We can hear it in the cadence in your voice and the passion in which you present yourself and the, and the story and the way you weave the tale, so to speak. I'm always curious with 2000 people, they're not all they're not all going to be as, as effective at telling stories as you are. So how do you, how do you enable uh, that particular talent or that particular approach throughout a team to motivate them to embrace that approach of telling stories effectively? Chad, again, a good question. You've done this before. <laughs> it's not my first one. And, and we, and we did it through telling stories to them. You learn by example And I wrote a sales letter every week. And in that sales letter was it, it re, it had ZEP information. Of course, it talked about price increases or a new product introduction or a discontinuation. But the first page of that sales letter was a story. And sometimes they were historic and sometimes they were patriotic and sometimes they were just cute and clever. But there was a story that got the attention before we talked about a price increase or whatever. And the last part was a box that had a Harry's hint. And in the book, every chapter is a Harry's hint. And the Harry's hint were on church billboards all over America and Canada is all I can tell you. Some of them, a few of them were original. Some of them were things that I had seen and liked and altered. And some of them were just pilfered exactly as they were. You know, uh, uh, luck is always against those who depend on it. No one ever listened himself out of a sale. Self-discipline is the original do-it-yourself job. <laughs> aspire to success, but few are willing to perspire for it. You know, the, if you're angling for success, the most important angle is the triangle. Now, again, they all ended with a hen, and many of the reps used to say, hey, I don't even read all that crap in the <laughs> I just go right to the hint. You know? <laughs> again, it sort of created an environment, an atmosphere that was low-key, that was reachable. We had sales meetings where we were in front of every salesperson at least twice of your senior management. And so we wanted to be accessible and we wanted people to be relaxed and we wanted them to feel as though I used to joke that selling set products was not a life or death matter. It was much more important than that. (laughs) So anyway, we just created an environment that encouraged people to be natural and to be themselves and leave the uptight at the door and just relate to your customers in the same way that we wanted you to relate to senior management. Well, and so that becomes part of the DNA of the culture, right? It becomes part of the the way that you surround them, enable them. And some people, you know, some people will pick up those hints. And and I'm sure throughout 27 years, you've had people that that didn't, that weren't a, that weren't a fit, right? It became very easy to tell the difference. And in fairness, one size does not fit all. We had people who were not glib and not clever and not quick on their feet 
who were very successful salespeople. They did it with hard work. They did it with product knowledge. They did it with customer care and concern. There are lots of ways to be successful. You know, the interesting thing is it's easy to be successful. The trouble is so few people really try. Uh-huh. Yes, that is very, very true. And actually, there's a there's a title, a chapter in the book entitled "Good is uh, Good Enough Never Is," which, when I saw it, made me chuckle because in one of my one of, one of the ways I presented, I would learn this lesson the hard way early. We have a slide that says "Good enough isn't," which is pretty much the same thing. But I'm, I would love to hear your perspective on that particular that particular title, that particular chapter, because that's I think a very important concept that a lot of people these days just don't seem to put in the grit, don't really seem to embrace the opportunities that are put in front of them to excel, especially in sales. Amen, Chad. They just don't push themselves. Good enough is not enough. And if better is possible, good is not enough. If better is possible. I love the old saying that change is not always better, but better is always change. (laughs) I like that one. You can't get better without change. And that, again, people who recognize that good enough never is, what does that mean? It means I have to know more. I have to get up earlier. I have to stay out later. I have to work harder. I have to be more concerned and focused on my customers. I have to know what my competitors are doing. I have to know why people should buy from me. Good salespeople really don't sell. They help customers buy. And there's a dramatic difference in those two viewpoints. If you help customers buy, you're appreciated. You're welcome. You're part of the family. And good enough won't accomplish that. You've got to be better than anticipated, better than advertised. And you got to be willing to, as the coaches say, pay the price. <laughs> so true. Well, and, and you know what? That's an extremely important point, right? I love that. I love the perspective that good salespeople, they're, they're helping customers buy. We don't see enough of that anymore today. I'm sure you've struggled throughout your career to find sales reps that understood that or helping them understand that. I'm curious, you know, why you think we're, we're falling. It seems to me we're falling back into an era where it's all about product, product, product. And hey, you want this. You need this versus really just slowing down and asking the question, what is it, what problems are you looking to solve? What is it that you want? Why do you think we're seeing a bigger push? Those two elements are kind of at war, right? How do you help someone buy versus focusing on selling to them? Why do you think we're seeing some of those uh, pressures? Well, the internet is probably one of the culprits, if you will, because it takes personality out of it. And, you know, it becomes price driven and there's no warm blood side to it. And, and I still think there's reason and there's substantiation and there's a necessity for relationships. They're hard to overcome. I always say that when all things are equal, people want to buy from their friends. And when things aren't equal, people still want to buy from their friends. (laughs) So make friends. And you do that by telling your story, getting in front of people enough times on time, in time, to make sure that you are dependable and to make sure that you are accountable. And you just try to make people comfortable. And uh, again, that in itself 
would differentiate you and make you memorable. If people look forward to your calls, if people know that you're coming with information, if you're dropping notes to customers when you see something that is of interest to them, all of those little accommodations, of course, the birthday cards and the anniversary cards, if you can gather that information, you know, that's basic. But beyond that, if you can help them help themselves and make their business better, boy, does the Internet doesn't do that. Okay. <laughs> people buy from people at the end of the day. Absolutely. People always buy from people. And it's interesting because I see so many organizations that struggle with, you know, we've got this focus on, on just this quarter. We're focused just on this quarter where these relationships that you build in sales. I mean, some of the best friends I have are people that I've sold long multi-year sales cycles to, to sell huge enterprise deals. That's a journey that you go on together. There's ups and downs and moments. And I think the biggest part for me, what I found was it was just my, you know, innate curiosity. How do I help this individual get through this particular, you know, situation they find themselves in? And whether or not I have the product or the solution, I just innately was curious. How are you going to get through it? How can I help? Right. So that servant leadership perspective, which I don't see, I see a lot of people talk about it, right? And there's a whole bunch of pundits out there talking about it, but I don't see a lot of people doing it. Boy, again, you're right on. You need to think in terms of what's in it for them. And if you take care of what's in it for them, it will take care of you. You don't have to worry about what's in it for me. <laughs> it is a byproduct. It's an absolute consequence of doing doing right for that customer will do right for you. You know, there's no question. And so what was your favorite chapter to write in the book? Where, I mean, it's a process. Six months, that's a, that's a journey in and of itself. Which one was your favorite to write? Oh, <laughs> again. I know, 50 kids. I know, I know 50 children. <laughs> and maybe I'll settle on one here that did involve a grandchild, okay? But it was just, in a way, had such a lesson my wife and I were driving with my five-year-old grandson, our oldest grandchild at the time. Still the oldest. I guess if you start the oldest, you still <laughs> I was always good at math. What can I do? Okay. <laughs> and he was eating an apple, and uh, he said, uh, Pop, uh, why is my apple turning brown? <laughs> well, I explained, well, Josh, after you bite into the apple... Oxygen is introduced and enzymes like polyphenol oxidase react to form compounds that create a sort of rust on the surface, making it appear brown. And after a long pause, he said, Pop, are you talking to me? <laughs> great wisdom from a child and a great lesson to be learned. And it Reminded me of the wonderful line from the old movie, Cool Hand Luke, when the warden says to him, what we've got here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no truer line was ever spoken. <laughs> and that's what my grandson and I had a failure to communicate. You have to talk to customers in terms they understand and not highfalutin and not too technical and not trying to show how smart you are. You got to relate. People only hear what they understand. And so you got to make sure that, that you speak in understandable terms 
to which people can relate. So I always love that story because it hit home and it was so personal. (laughs) Perfect. So, all right, so let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply when, you know, and this, I'm really curious over 27 years, what worked best? We always ask executives, somebody who doesn't have a, a referral or a reference, they don't know somebody that you know, there's no existing relationship what over your career did you find the most effective if somebody who didn't know you wanted to get in front of you, capture 15, 20 minutes of your time to talk to you about something they believed would help you? What kind of method did you see uh, as being most effective? Well, I wanted professionalism and I wanted people who respected my time. That would get me. I wanted people who I felt had my interest. We talked about what's in it. For me, what's in it for them? Well, I'm the them in that case. (laughs) I wanted them to know what was important to me, to know enough about my business, to have done their homework, and not just cold calls, you know, are sometimes necessary, but they're so inefficient. You really want to do some digging. And now with all the Internet capabilities, I cursed it a minute ago. I'm praising it right now that there's so much information that you can be prepared before you make those calls. I want someone who's likable. I buy from people I like. You know, I want someone who is sincere. And I want someone who knows his or her stuff. I want them to know their business that I feel I can learn from and, and their interested in my problem. And of course, I want someone who's passionate. I think years and years ago, I think Emerson said, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. And it's so true. I want that person to be up and, and, and excited about what they're doing. And you know, it's hard to fake enthusiasm and sincerity. <laughs> okay. Yes, it, it is. It, it will come through. So that person that can, can get in front of me and, and say, I'm, I appreciate your time. Here's what I've got. Here's why I think it helps you. Here's why you ought to be buying from me. Here's what we provide before, during, and after the sale. That gets my attention and keeps my attention. Excellent. So uh, last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional service, we have one piece of advice that if they listen, you believe would help people hit their targets or exceed them. What would it be and why? Oh, I would think I'll tell you another story if I may, Chad. Please. Okay. Three, and it's a math problem. We're back to math. Okay. <laughs> Three frogs are sitting on a log and one decided to jump off. How many are left? The answer is three. Most people say two. But because one of the frogs decided to jump off, doesn't mean that he He jumped off. (laughs) We decide to lose weight, to exercise, to quit smoking, to drink less, whatever it is that we may have decided to do. But until we do it, we hadn't accomplished anything. Nike said, just do it. Harry says, just do it now. (laughs) Perfect. Urgency. Add that immediacy. You know, and, and I'm, and I live by the old template that says the best rules of success won't work unless you do. (laughs) All of that plays in 
urgency, action, dependent on yourself, know that it's up to you. My favorite 10 motivational words are all two letters. Are you listening? If it is to be, it is up to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's wisdom in that. I wish I had thought of those originally. I read them someplace, <laughs> but I love if it is to be, it is up to me. Oh, perfect. Harry, if a listener's interested in talking to you more about these topics that we touched on or getting a copy of the book, what's the best way to go about that? Well, while there's still a few left, <laughs> the easiest way is Amazon. You know, they're, they're dominating the world right now. And it is on both uh, uh, online and uh, in the hard copy are available. And it is story selling. And uh, we're doing well with it. So I think all of your listeners who may be motivated to say, I need to read that book. Uh, the publisher says 76 minutes read time. <sighs> about 180 pages. And so, again, I think it's a good way to spend an hour and 16 minutes. So, and my, it's Harry Mazur at Gmail, H-A-R-R-Y-M-A-Z-I-A-R at Gmail. And I'm still old fashioned enough to uh, text and talk on the phone. So it's (laughs) 853-1063, And I'm happy to hear from any of your listeners and uh, would appreciate would appreciate it. Well, hey, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show today. It's been an excellent conversation. Thank you very much. Chad, it's been my pleasure. I can spot a professional as soon as he opens his mouth and you qualify in spades. So good, ah. buddy. <laughs> good luck to you. And it's been a pleasure to participate. Oh, thank you very much. And everybody listen, all the listeners out there, get a copy of the book. One of the things that Harry did not tell you is that he's, he's donating significant portions of the, of the uh, revenue from this to charity and it's for a good cause. So please, not only will you uh, learn something, which everybody should be working on doing every day, if you're asking my opinion, you're also going to help good calls. And as you know, the drill, that's it. Check it out for Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, and coworkers. If you like what you hear, do us a favor, write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.